I love that song and I love that text. They, they go hand in hand. I, we'll take a look at that actually here in a moment. But one of the reasons why I love that song is because it's a reminder that there is hope. That there is hope in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need hope. Here we are. It's the last Sunday in January, the first month of 2021. And I remember back last year, y'all remember 2020? Y'all remember in 2020, like September, October, November, December, everyone was saying like, can't wait till the new year because when the new year's here, our problems are gonna... (laughs) And at the current rate that we're on, I'm not so sure (laughs) that it was right to place my hope in a calendar shift. No, in fact, for me at least, and I know that for many of you as well, we are feeling the consistent beating of the drum of chaos and confusion and pain and frustration. We're coming up, I was talking to a a friend of mine and, and we were talking about a phone call that we had almost a year ago. And it was a phone call about this thing that neither of us knew about called Corona. And we were, we were kind of looking back over the last year, and it's, it, it, it hit both of us that there's, this, there's been this cumulative weight <laughs> building upon us. Whether it has to do with, um, I, mean, I mean, just pick your, uh, your arena, whether it's political, whether it's physical, whether it's relational, whether it's societal. I mean, just there's so much weight. And we need hope. And so here's what we're going to do. We are going to, starting today and all the way until Easter, we are going to, uh, we're going to work together as a church family as we look to the scriptures. We're going to do something over the next four weeks where we uh, engage in a spiritual, uh, excuse me, a spiritual practice that has been practiced for centuries called lament. Uh, especially in church traditions like ours, lament is a lost art. And yet I hope to show us throughout this series uh, that lament is good for us and it's right for us. And then, uh, and th- so that'll be the series that we're starting today called Rhythm of Faith. And then we're gonna continue on after that. So we're gonna look inwards and we're gonna pay attention to what's been happening to us and how God's been uh, at work in our lives. And then we're gonna actually look at what God has been doing to us, how he's been shaping us. And then we're gonna look forward in hope-filled anticipation and expectation of what God has in store for us with whatever comes next. And so we're gonna do that in the, in the series after this one called Taking Shape. And so um, my encouragement to you is whether you're joining us here in person or joining us online, is that you would... Uh, make an intentional decision to participate, again, whether in person or online, uh, for these next few weeks leading up to Easter. I believe this is a pivotal moment for us uh, as individuals. I know that many of us just have these outstanding questions, and we're still even wondering, how do we we move forward uh, in this season with whatever God has next for us? And so we're going to do that together as a church family. Uh, Today, we're starting a series where we're going to focus on and look at what God's been doing in our midst, even in this season of confusion and pain and frustration and sadness. We're, we're looking at um, 
Actually, this is kind of interesting. So one of, the, one of our habits uh, here at Desert Springs is about once a year, we will frame an entire sermon series around uh, music, around songs. And one of the key reasons is, is because songs generally teach us more than sermons do, right? Like, I, I guarantee that ain't nobody gonna be walking out of here this whole week quoting me. But I also guarantee that probably about 50% of us are going to be either humming or singing or catch ourselves humming or singing, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forward to carry me home. You see, music teaches us and shapes us a lot more than sermons do, much to my dismay. But I'm still going to do the sermon. <laughs> so... Uh, we, we found ourselves framing a sermon series around music about once a year. We've done it Christmas time, we've done it around uh, Easter time, we've done it in the summer. And this year we, we were looking at, as we were praying about what to do in this season, we, we knew that we needed to learn how to lament and how to have hope-filled lament. And, and um, Pastor Vermon, who's at Roosevelt Community Church, who preached here last week, we were talking, and this is a few months ago, and and he came up with this idea of doing a series based around uh, the spirituals, which is a category of music uh, made popular by American Christian slaves in the 1800s and early 19, and then and also recorded in the early 1900s. And it's a, it's a category of music, the spirituals, uh, th that word even, spirituals, it comes from Ephesians chapter 5, which says that we're to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it's interesting in Ephesians 5, the language says we're to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I just want to press pause for a moment and encourage you that when we sing together on Sundays, again, whether online or here in person, we're not only singing vertically, I hear people say sing to the Lord, and that's right to do so, but we're also singing horizontally. We're singing and speaking to each other to remind each other of the truths that we have found to be powerful and to be found in Jesus. And so this language of the spirituals, it comes from this idea that even if you couldn't do a sermon, which many slaves were uh, forbidden to do, even if you couldn't have uh, gatherings like a community group or something, which American Christian slaves were forbidden to do, you could still speak to one another in spiritual songs. And so we're going to look at four of these spirituals, and then we're going to look at the scriptures uh, that influenced and guided those songs. The one that we're going to be looking at today is Swing Low, uh, Sweet Chariot. And I know that that's kind of a weird thing to sing about, but I hope that uh, by the end of our time together that you will find it to be beautiful. Uh, now, one of the things about the spirituals that, that I think is interesting, especially in American history, it's one of the unique things that the American church has produced that has shaped Christianity around the world. Out of uh, the American Christian uh, slave uh, a moment in our history, out of that moment, out of that movement came songs that are sung around the world. In fact, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who some of you may be familiar with, he was a theologian and pastor in the early 1900s. And he was a, he was a Lutheran minister, a German minister. And he watched during his pastorate, he watched the Nazi regime uh, assume power. And he spent some time in New York City studying and lecturing and things like that. I think he was here for a year or two. And one of the things that he intimates in some of his writings is, is that he was here and he was attending these churches and he said, they're lifeless. There's no Jesus in these churches. And then he intimates and he says, until I stepped into what he would refer to as an African-American church where they sang, 
the spirituals. And he said, it was there that I found Jesus alive and proclaimed. In fact, one of the things that Bonhoeffer did was he took uh, vinyl records. Do you guys know what those are? Some of us, Lionel, you remember when those were invented. The, um, right, it was, it's like, it was like a poor, it was like an MP3 only like etched into something. Um, right, so he got these vinyl records of the spirituals and he took them, he, he felt as a pastor, I need to be with my people. I want to pastor the German people. And so he, he went back to Germany during the Nazi regime and he took these spirituals with him. And one of the interesting things is this that one of the songs that was forbidden by the Third Reich was the song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. It was viewed by them as a threat. And so we have in the spirituals this deep and profound truth, beautifully represented. And so we're going to uh, take a look. So the song uh, title is Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Now, for some of us, we're wondering, why are we singing about chariots? Why is the chariot sweet? Why does it have to be low? And, you know, why isn't it like, you know, slow down, sweet minivan? Like, you know, get here quickly, sweet Uber driver. Like, what is, why, why are we singing about, uh, why were American Christian slaves singing the words, swing low, sweet chariot? I'm glad you asked. It's a great question. Isn't it weird? It's kind of weird. Right? But it's kind of weird. Like, even, even in the 1800s, they didn't do chariots, you know? It comes from uh, the book in the Bible called Second Kings. It's in the second chapter, and it's this dude named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He was a powerful prophet. And, and he was sensing, I think because of the Lord speaking to him, he was sensing his time was near, right? He was going to die soon. And so he's ha- it's interesting, he's having this conversation with his protege, Elijah, and he says, hey, uh, you know, like, if, if you see these chariots of fire... Uh, then you'll know that you can you take my job, basically. It was a really weird transition. Uh, but one of the things that Elisha sees happening to Elijah is he sees chariots of fire. Do you guys remember, do you guys remember that movie? That was a movie, right? Uh, dun, 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 you guys remember chariots of fire. Okay, so that comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, where you see the chariots of fire. Now, Why is the chariot sweet? Because it's taking you where? Home. And why does the singer want the chariot to come low? So they can be sure to get on. Y'all with me so far? Now, in this song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, it's a song of longing, isn't it? Isn't it a song of, like, like, come now, Jesus, right? Swing low, sweet chariot, and take me where? Home. It's a song of homesickness. It's a song of longing. It's, it's come get me, but, but it's almost a prayer. I'm in such a state that I need you to make sure to bring that chariot low. You guys ever felt that way before? Don't drop a ladder. Right? Don't beam me up, Scotty. I need you to swing low. And so in this spiritual, you have a lament, a longing, and a hope. And though it uses the imagery of 2 Kings chapter 2, one of the foundational scriptures uh, that speak to this song is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we're actually going to take a look at that today. Now, 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is a letter from a pastor named Paul. He's writing to a church in a place called Corinth. The reason we call it 2 Corinthians is because it's the second letter that we've got uh, that was written by Paul to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians. And, he, and Paul, Pastor Paul is writing to a group of people that know experientially what it's like to feel brokenness. They know what it is to long for things to be fixed and to long to go home. And this is what he says. So I'm gonna open, uh, check this out. So he says this, for we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made by human hands. Okay, so first I want us to notice uh, something about this text. It is weird. Amen? Amen? We're talking about tents, I mean, I thought we were talking about chariots. Now we're camping. What is going on? All right. Here's what's going on. Paul, who, and actually this is interesting. Uh, Paul's side hustle, his job that got him paid, was he was a tent maker. And so he's using a very real familiar, uh, familiar uh, illustration. And, and here's the illustration. Uh, have you ever gone camping? Who, who here has gone camping in a tent? I'm not talking about if, if there's beds. I'm talking about tents. You've gone camping in a tent. Okay, when you go camping in a tent, if it's hot outside, what is it in the tent? If it's cold outside, what is it in the tent? If the wind is blowing all around, what's happening to the tent? If you leave a can of tuna open in the tent, what happens to the tent? The bears tear down the tent, eat you, and then eat the can of tuna as a dessert, right? Tents are generally, there. do you, I mean, are you glad for tents? Yeah, I'm totally glad for tents, but I do not expect a tent to go the distance. I don't expect a tent to be my final home. I don't expect that a tent is where I'm going to finally, hmm? And so he's referring to our bodies as tents. Not tense, like I feel tense. Tents. So in this text, we're going to see four things. Number one, the reality of brokenness. Number two, our common response to brokenness. Number three, the renewing redeemer. And number four, the role we now play. Number one, we're going to recognize the reality of brokenness. We're going to see the response, or at least the common response to brokenness. We're going to three, look at the renewing redeemer. And then finally, the role we now play. Okay, notice that Paul here is highlighting and looking at our brokenness. He says we are tense. In this tent, we're in this tent, right? And so this is uh, what, what uh, uh, kind of a, uh, an approximation of what Paul would have had in his mind when he thought about a tent. Now notice the tent. Uh, what's keeping it on the ground? Yeah, ropes and stakes, right? So if a big gust of wind comes, what's happening to the tent? Bye-bye tent, right? Uh, if enemies come to the tent, how safe do you think you are? Not very, right? So th it's good for what it is, but imagine this tent 50 years from now. Imagine this same tent, if it's not paid attention to 100 years from now, 200 years from now, is it gonna look that good? 
It's just going to decay, right? So I want you to see in this text, watch this, watch what Paul does. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are. Okay, so first I want to say this, and I think that this is so, so important. Following Jesus does not mean ignoring pain. Following Jesus does not mean that everything is saccharine and sweet. Following Jesus does not mean forcing yourself to say, everything is wonderful. We're weird. We're weird. Especially in Christian traditions, our particular uh, mix of traditions here at Desert Springs Bible Church, uh, we somewhere along the way lost the rhythm of lament. Lament is what Paul's going to show us here. It's what the biblical authors show it. In fact, lament, Jesus shows us that lament is a good and right thing to do. Not to jump too quickly to the hope. And let me just give you an example. Has this ever happened to you? You don't have to answer out loud. But has this ever happened to you? Somebody in your life, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a frenemy, somebody in your life has experienced pain. They lost a job, they lost a loved one, they got a bad diagnosis, and they tell it to you. For most of us, what is our first initial thought that we're supposed to do? Make them what? Feel better. Is that, is that right? I mean, have you guys experienced that? They're, they're pouring out, they're, they're crying, they're telling you painful things. And inside of, for most of us, inside of us, we're trying to think, what can I say or do to make them what? Feel better. Now, this is where I don't want you to answer. Has it ever misfired? Has it ever landed flat? After the words come out of your mouth, have you ever felt like, that was not good? One of the things that this text shows us is that when we experience the brokenness of the world, it, one of the first things we need to do is just recognize the brokenness and maybe even say it out loud. I want to encourage you, the next time that you have one of those situations where someone's giving you, you know, painful things, don't jump too quickly to, it's all going to work out in the end. Oh, this is the worst one. It could be worse. <laughs> I lost my job. Well, did you lose a toe? Cheer up. Thanks. Sometimes the right thing to do is just to look them in the eye and say, I'm sad too. This is broken. Just to name it and to lament it and even maybe even to say, God, I mean, one of the things that I had to learn how to do is, contrary to my natural tendencies, is when the spirit leads, is just praying with the other person and saying, God, this is broken and we don't know what to do. So we're just gonna sit here for a little bit. And so maybe that's the right response. However, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, but you'll notice here that to follow Jesus is not to say, oh, put on a happy face. Right? You don't jump too quickly to the hope. Lament in it. Hmm. Following Jesus is a down-to-earth, dirt-on-your-face journey. And I, just, I don't mean to be trite, but I would just like to prove it to you. The center of our faith is a man being crucified for his enemies 
crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says to us, you follow me. Should we not expect that things might be difficult following a savior like that? Now there is hope in the end and I hope that I'm not gonna leave you here. But following Jesus is a look it in the eye, name it, dirt on the face, walk. Notice the response to the brokenness. Uh, I love this. Indeed, we what? Grown. I don't want you to say the word. I want you to do the thing. Ready? You guys ready? Good. Indeed, we. Uh, right? What, have, you, have, you, have you not been there? <laughs> have you not been in such a place where you're recognizing the brokenness that, that you don't even have the words, you just have the. Uh, this language of groaning, another way to understand it or translate it is to, to, to deeply complain. It's just to say, yeah, the, oh, oh, how many of you have ever said the words, I'm getting too old for this, right? And I'm not talking about going to Chuck E. Cheese. I'm talking about the thing that you used to pick up, now you pick up and things hurt. And you say, I'm getting too old for this. Now, some of us say, I'm getting too old for this expletive. Not me, because I'm a man of God. In the prime of my life, I never see, no, right? You guys have said that, right? I'm getting too old for this. What's that? That's indeed we groan in this tent. It's falling apart. Some of us are adding extra rooms. There's just, it's the tent is broken. Now that's when we feel uh, physical pain. How much more when we feel relational, spiritual, mental pain? We feel the tent falling apart, right? Not just our bodies, but our whole being. It just feels like things are kind of crumbling all the time. In this tent, we, what's the response to the recognition of the brokenness? It's, ugh. Notice, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. We have a longing, right? Swing low, sweet chariot is a song recognizing the pain and desiring putting on the heavenly dwelling. Since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we, what's the word? Groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Oh my goodness, what an image that is. You guys ever seen these um, uh, Hollywood movies where there's like a giant earthquake? and like the ground opens up and swallows up whatever's on skyscrapers or whatever. You guys seen this before? Or you see like a, a, a ship capsized in the ocean and the ocean swallows up the ship. In both of those images, life is being swallowed up by death. Hmm? But I want you to see what Paul does. He's saying we recognize the pain, we respond to it by naming it and lamenting it, and we groan, Ugh. But our longing is this. We're looking forward to the day where death or mortality is swallowed up by life. The ocean or the earth, you know, the earth in that imagery, the ocean in that imagery is not death, it's life. It's that death gets swallowed up by life. Do you see? It's an overwhelming image. It's a powerful representation of the hope that we have that one day death will be swallowed up into life. See, here's the interesting thing. And I, friends, I, I, I love you so much and I do not mean to be trite. But in our usual custom, people get swallowed up at, 
at funerals, right? The earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we sometimes say. At graveside funerals, which I've been to and officiated many, you watch the earth, you watch mortality swallow up life, right? And yet what the author is saying here is that because of Jesus, the whole thing is inverted and death dies and is swallowed up by life. Do you long for that? Do we need hope? We long for it, right? We're burdened now. We're desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Indeed, right now we groan, the right response. But we long for mortality to be swallowed up by life. Coming for to carry me home. Okay, so uh, let's talk about your prayer life. Uh, I think probably you should curse more. Not now out loud, that's, that's disrespectful. No, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic. I don't, I, just read your Psalms and tell me about the honesty with which we are called to pray. First, I wanna tell you this. You know the thoughts you think? You know about those? You know about the actions that you do and the words that you say? You know who knows them even more intimately than you do? Your maker. And so when we pray, there's never a time, never, ever, ever a time where God hears our prayers, that even that raw emotion, why is this happening, God? He never hears that and says, oh my, I had no idea. <laughs> so you can never surprise God which means that our prayers are not for him. They're for us. They're for our good. And part of the lamenting in prayer, even saying, God, where are you? God, how could you let this happen? Whatever language you say in here, say it to him. That's what I mean when I say you should curse more, because I know you people. Number one, he can handle it. Number two, it's for your good to be with him in whatever state you are in and process that before him in prayer. That, I think, is what Paul is talking about when he calls us to groan and to lament the brokenness that we see. I, Jesus does this. The night that he was betrayed, Jesus is in a garden saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want this. And then the next day, he's crying out, being crucified, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He laments the pain. And so should we. And so we recognize the brokenness. We respond to the brokenness with lament, with groaning. But then we look to the renewing redeemer. Oh, my goodness. We look to the fact that mortality will be swallowed up by life. Why? Not because of my own good works, not because I put a positive spin on everything, but because of Jesus. Watch this. Now, the one who prepared for this very purpose is whom? God, who gave us the? As a down payment. That's weird. We're going to talk about it in a second. So we are always, are you? And know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Uh, TV timeout, Bible trivia time, everyone's favorite game. You guys ever heard of the word the Trinity? 
The Trinity gets, it's a theological term that gets at this idea that we see in the scriptures that God is three in one. That God is, oh, if you've ever seen a baptism here at Dove Springs, we say things like, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, the re, and because we believe that God is three persons in one, one in three persons, God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One of the little cool things that the New Testament authors do is they do that all the time meaning they highlight that all the time. In fact, there might even be a text that we've read recently where they put it in there, like God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Do you guys see it? We might even highlight it to make the point. He says facetiously. Okay, so here, how are we able to have hope that death will be swallowed up by life, that mortality will be swallowed up? It's because of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and the work that they do. And so right now, how do we then live? How do we now live? How do we walk? Right away, walk, that, that idea, you know, walk this way. Um, that was not about Jesus, I don't think. Right, Steven Tyler wasn't, okay, sorry. Uh, it's an old Aerosmith song. Aerosmith is a, cl a classic music band. Um, this idea of walking, right, the walk, right? We, we say things even in our vernacular, you better walk the walk. That means live like you say you're gonna live, right? And so when we talk about this walk, how do we walk? We walk not by the things that are immediately in front of us that we see, because don't we see a lot of brokenness? Oh, come on now. We're in January of 2021. Don't we see a lot of brokenness? And so we're not gonna walk by our sight, by just the things that we can see. How are we gonna live? How are we gonna move? How are we gonna have our being? How are we gonna do it? We're gonna walk by what? Faith, not by sight. It doesn't mean that we don't keep our eyes wide open, right? I mean, that's, I think, in the text, it shows us that we are to look everything square in the eye and deal with it. But that's not how we live. We don't live being burdened down nihilistically saying, oh, it's all useless, it's all, it's all a waste. No, we walk by faith, not by sight, because of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who has promised that death will be swallowed up by life. Let's keep going. If, in fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Okay, I, got, I, have, I have a bone to pick. No one sounds shocked. Okay, so we've met. We've obviously met. Okay, here's the deal. I, I, I've lost people that are close to me, and, and you have too. And if you've said this or heard this, I don't, I don't mean to throw shade, but, but, but I, I want to just maybe coach us a little bit. One of the things that I hear people say to me is, well, they're, they're in heaven now. They're, they're playing chess in heaven. They're dancing in heaven. They're, 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 you know, whatever the thing that they loved, you know, they're eating filet mignon in heaven right now. And they, they say that to me and, and people say that to you and to, to give hope, right? To, to give a peace about the, the state of things. But I want you to see that go to heaven when you die is not the ultimate hope of a Jesus follower. You know that, uh, what's that thing, homesickness? You guys ever felt that before? Like you go away on travel, <laughs> I mean, a year and a half ago, but you go away on travel and you start longing for home and you say, I feel homesick. Do you, when you say those words, I feel homesick, are you articulating, I really love my house and want to go to there? Or are you not saying, the relationships that I'm apart from right now, I want those relationships to be reunited? Is it A or B? Is it the building or the people? 
When I say I can't wait to get home, what I mean is I can't wait to be with you, wife and children, most of the time. (laughs) Hi, honey, she's online. So I want you to see, right? Notice what the author here says. He's not saying, in this tent we groan, and then one day we're gonna go to heaven. He says, in this tent we groan, and then we will be with the Lord. The ultimate hope of the Jesus follower is Jesus, wherever that dwelling might be. So a lot of people say, well, they'll ask me, Pastor, what's heaven like? I don't know, but I know what Jesus is like, and that gives me hope because I get to be with him. I, I... Yeah, okay, sorry for ranting. I'm sick and tired of these books that are like, what happens when you die? I wanna know who am I gonna be with, right? I don't know if the lights are blue or green. I'm colorblind anyway. I can't tell the difference. I don't know if they're serving steak. It doesn't matter to me. I want Jesus. I want more of him and I want him for eternity. And that is the hope that Jesus gives. And so though right now I'm walking by faith, not by sight, that that is my certainty now, I also know that it's my hope. Here's another thing too. You remember that weird part about the spirit being a deposit? Was it here? Yeah. Who gave us the spirit as a down payment? All right, we're gonna do something. It's a little weird, but I'm gonna ask you to just humor me if you don't mind. Would you uh, take a big deep breath in and then feel what happens to your lungs? Don't forget to let it out. Do that one more time, into your lungs. Uh, Earlier in the service, we sang a song, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, God. And then there's this weird refrain that like weirds us out. Breathe on us. You guys remember that? This, this idea of breathing on God, breathing on us, comes from this theme in Scripture. You find it throughout Scripture that the Spirit of God is like a wind, like a breath. In fact, Jesus, after his resurrection, looks at his disciples in the Gospel of John, I think it's like in, in 20, and he breathes on them. He says, receive the Spirit. And so the spirit is not wind. The spirit is not actually the breath, but the way that we envision the spirit, it's that the spirit is breathed. And so here's my encouragement to you. The spirit is the deposit. The spirit is the down payment. We say, how do we walk by faith and not by sight? How do we live recognizing that mortality will be swallowed up into life? Because I'm not, I'm not feeling very physically present with the Lord right now. You guys ever felt that way? Like he's not as close as I want him to be sometimes. And so we see that that promise of the redeemer, the restorative redeemer, that promise that he gives is that for everyone who turns from their sin, who repents, turns from their sin and believes in Jesus, receives the spirit of the living God. And so when we breathe, we're reminding ourselves that the spirit is the down payment of this truth that there is a coming restoration, that it started at the resurrection of Jesus and it will find its ultimate fulfillment in the return of Jesus. But in the meantime, while we walk by faith, not by sight, we live empowered by his spirit who dwells every Jesus follower. When you breathe, 
It's a reminder of the Spirit's indwelling presence in you. And here's the thing. On your last, according to my understanding of the scripture, the next moment, you see Jesus. And so the last time you remind yourself of the Spirit's presence, you will experience the presence of your Savior. And so we see that the Spirit is the down payment, right? Moment by moment, day by day, we live by the power of the Spirit. That's how we walk by faith and not by sight. So what are we to do now? What's our role now? Okay, so in fact, we are, what's the word? We are confident, not by our own might, not by our own power, but by the Spirit of the living God. Step. By faith, not by sight. Spirit of the living God. Step. By faith, not by sight. That's how we live and move and have our being. So in fact, we are confident. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Notice again, it's not go to heaven when I die. It's be with Jesus. Therefore, so here's what do we do right now, Campbell. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Whether we are right now living walking by faith, not by sight, or that moment when we are standing face-to-face -face in his presence, in both circumstances, in both moments, in all of life, we make it our aim to please the one that we love. Hmm? So here's what we're gonna do. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna ask that you would reflect on the words of a song, and then we'll sing together. I, church family, I love you so much. I want this so bad for you because there are so many temptations, things to cling to, things to look to, things to, to, to find our hope in that just, just crumble under the weight of our expectation. And so one more time, would you breathe in and be reminded that... It's step by step, we walk by faith, not by sight, by the power of God's spirit indwelling within us. And then know this, that God has spoken this truth. We saw it in 2 Corinthians 5, it's throughout the scripture. He has spoken this truth. And so a land here, Jesus is more near to you than you are to your own self. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. He is always with you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Jesus, in his resurrection, has shown you that this tent, though decaying, will be made new, just as his resurrection body showed us. But this Jesus who is near to you, his spirit indwells you. And out of love and grace for you, he calls you to live a life pleasing to the one that loves you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And so let me pray for you. Jesus, you have spoken this truth. And though we see so much brokenness in the world, we know that it is so. Jesus, when you taught us to pray, you taught us to call out that your kingdom would come 
and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Jesus, as we hear these words, as we, in a moment, sing these words together, by your spirit, would you move within us that you would embolden and encourage us that though we lament the brokenness and we long to be renewed and restored ultimately, right now, restoring Redeemer, would you empower us to live by faith not by sight. We cling to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.